from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. episode of the hit book-based podcast for Christ's sake uh, a thrilling adventure through the um, oeuvre of the greatest author of all time Michael Crichton um, we're back with you today to cover another one of his uh, uh, the chapters of his very first published novel uh, published under the nom de guerre Jean Langa or Jean Lange. Or I like to say Jean Lange. I say Jean Minge. That's what I like to say. Yep. Good one. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, f- I feel like that was in keeping with the spirit of the of the book, so I don't feel too bad mm. about it. Um, so today we are going to cover on the the pod this podcast we're going to cover the chapter that is entitled monday june 16th should we say where we left off like what was going on prior to this chapter do a, a quick recap yeah let's do it we had who did we have we had brian stack mm. we got miguel and uh jenks right? yes yeah um all three of whom seem to be criminals of some sort they're planning something. We don't. We don't have. We're not privy to what they're planning as of yet. No, no. And that we were all converging on a location in Spain. Mm. We know that there's dynamite involved, somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last chapter, Jinx got followed by some uh, French agent or something like that. Uh, yeah, he was playing the part of a oafish American. But mm. the revelation at the end of the last chapter was that he was actually French. Yes. Uh, or something. Uh, and also, last time we were introduced to two new characters. Um, these names, I... Garçon? <laughs> John Garin? Gavin? Uh, I'll point up. Uh, Peter Merritt... Corbin? Peter Peter Merritt Ganson Fourth. Ganson. And right. his uh, desired way, um, Ginny. Not Jane. No. And Jane is Brian's, uh, I guess, girlfriend's. Occasional lover that's uh, yeah, there you go. waiting for him in London. <laughs> yes. I think without his uh, presence, she has temporarily blinked out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as all, all women do. Um, when there's not a man there to uh, satisfy them. Exactly. So, uh, 
All right, so we're introduced to a new locale in the opening of this chapter, which will serve to be the uh, <laughs> uh, the dominant um, setting for both this chapter and the next one. Uh, let's see, what, what happens in this chapter? So, old Brian uh, comes to uh, rest uh, at the Hotel Riena, which is a luxurious resort that uh, on the coast of Spain that seems pretty remote. Um, it's built on an island. Um, what else is there about it? <laughs> I was writing a lot of reading uh, uh, this J.G. Ballard uh, novel called Supercon, um, which is about this uh, um, like resort in in France that caters to like these wealthy British people as this like dark underlying secret, but I assume there's no darkness here. Um, but so yes, there is a hotel that caters to wealthy Europeans. Um, Brian goes up to it and that's pretty much the entirety of the chapter, <laughs> I think. Well, just to explain it a little bit more, what Brian is doing, he's staking out the hotel because the hotel features into this mysterious plan that has been forged between these three men. That's true. Brian is a little skeptical and he wants to check it out for himself. Yes. Right, before before things get into motion. And we get a little bit of Brian's backstory here as well. Mm, indeed. That he uh, fought in the war as a member of the French Resistance. Um, and then after the war, he sort of became a mercenary, um, doing various jobs for various people. Someone who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. An Oxbridge graduate as well. Mm. So he's he's got brains as as well as brawn but we learned that uh he's someone who likes to plan carefully and if things don't seem to be going his way he is willing to abandon them immediately that's the information that we get about brian in this little subsection um some other stuff happens in this chapter because the chapter was quite long from yes memory. well from after that uh section we cut to perhaps my favorite part of the book so far mm. which introduces us to two new characters Yep, Jean-Paul is one. And a new location. Yep. Which is Tangier. Uh, yes, we were introduced to Jean-Paul, who is a um, driver for an older British woman named Mrs. Shaw. A little chauffeur slash gigolo. Mm, yes. Uh, as as Crichton so eloquently uh, describes him, he has two great passions in life, uh, scotch and young women. <laughs> Uh, so we have, I don't, I don't, I didn't take that to be, uh, he was a pedophile, but, um, I've read a lot of, uh, William S. Burroughs books and, uh, they all describe Tangier, uh, around this era, era and in the fifties as this sort of like haven for, um, you know, uh, white people who had non, um, traditional sexualities, let's say. So I, I'm imagining that he's a pedophile. Uh, I don't know if that, that's, that, that could be something that would bring you to the text, though. What do you think? Well, there is certainly a thread of um, questionable sexualization of younger women that mm. runs throughout this book and will continue into the next chapter. So it could be something that's just bleeding through from Michael Crichton's own predilections. Mm. But I, I don't think it's fair to describe him as a pedophile, you know? Not necessarily entirely supported by the text, but there is an undercurrent of yeah. um, sexualization of y particularly younger women. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, but I feel like that was something that was in the air at the time and is in the air of the time that we live in now. <laughs> and has mm. been in the air of most Topical. times in European history, I think. Mm. Or Western history, rather. Go for the throat, Hunter. Mm, that's right. I'm, I'm a feminist. I'm proud. <laughs> Hence why I'm engaging this. Engaging on a years-long <laughs> journey through the bibliography of famed feminist Michael Crichton. <laughs> We're taking him down. <laughs> From the inside out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to know your enemy. <laughs> the only way we'll make any progress. We go through every single word <laughs> he's ever written. Yep. Uh, so anyway, what are what are Jean Paul and Michelle doing in Tangier, Hugh? Well, well, um, it appears that uh, what's her name, Miss Miss Shaw, Miss Shaw, Miss Shaw, Miss Shaw, Miss Shaw is, is smuggling some weed in her ample bosom. <laughs> I did, I did think this scene was funny because at first I was like, oh, they're smuggling heroin. It was revealed to be weed. I was like, oh, that's quaint. And then also, mm. how, how is she fitting a pound of weed in her, in her like, bra? <laughs> or two pounds? Must be a super <laughs> ample bosom. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I thought this uh, little subchapter was extremely amusing. I don't know if you agreed with mm. me or not. But, uh, I'm enjoying every part of this book. This is <laughs> yeah, good yeah. stuff. I know, but I think I think I especially enjoyed this one just because it seems so strange and eccentric, and I, yeah. it seems like it was like a, out of like a Graham Greene novel or something, you know. Hmm. Um, I mean, not that I'm saying that the prose is as good as Graham Greene's is or anything like that, um, but I enjoyed the uh, these these two characters, and uh, even though they were but they they flickered briefly. Uh, onto the page. I hope that we see them come back soon. They flick it briefly, but brightly and memorably, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Yes. Um, on the prose, I will say, in Michael Crichton's defense, although he's not a Graham Greene, he's yeah, not or a uh, good writer. that level of prose stylist, <laughs> the prose is better than I was expecting it to be, especially for a first novel. Hmm. On one level, it's disappointing to discover that his prose never really developed <laughs> much beyond this. But the actual prose that he's going for, it's not incompetent. Uh, it has it has more rhythm and flair mm. in its deadpan way than I was expecting. Mm. Because I, I did reach a point in my literary development after I had shed the Crichtons of my youth. I remember like reaching the conclusion at some point after I had like put Crichton behind me that his writing was terrible. I actually don't think it is, it is. at least on this evidence. Um, I think there's some parts where it's terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not saying it's uh, anything to write home about. But yeah, it's definitely readable. <laughs> yeah, it's readable. Like it's he, he, What he's going for, he's achieving you know, reasonably successfully. I mean, you know, you have to be something, do, do something to write. If I, if I could read like 30 pages in a half an hour. Yeah, you know? yeah. It goes down pretty easy. Yeah. Just like a fine scotch. Um, I remember actually a quote about this novel or about the novels that he was writing under that particular pseudonym of John mm. Lange or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. He said he wanted them to be the equivalent of like an in-flight movie mm. and essentially that you could read them as quickly as you could watch an in-flight movie. Mm. 
Yeah, they definitely feel kind of Ian Fleming y to me. That's the vibe I'm getting from them more than anything. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Not as accomplished as Fleming, I don't think. No, but. no. no. It, or as original, or as like memorable of a character creator or narrative creator. But that's kind of what I feel like he's going for, you know? There's like sort yeah. of that like international feel, you know? Got a British guy. <laughs> I don't know what else. <laughs> Uh, anyway, where were we? Where were we? We 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 were um, enjoying the section in Tangier. Mm. Now, I thought we get another another brief one with uh, Peter Ganson, um, which is basically nothing, and we'll return to those characters later. I don't even know if we need to mention it. Well, I like the bit where um, they're outside at night and mm. uh, they're looking up at the moon. Remember that bit? Nope. Ganson in the moonlight. God. <laughs> let's let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. And, bright, and it's a crap. To... <clears throat> All right, let's keep on going. Is that the end of the chapter or is there more? No, no, there's a lot more. Yeah, there's it's it's a stuffed chapter. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, well, it's stuffed in that it's a long, but not a not a ton of note happens. I don't think. No, but it is. Yeah, it's a quite a dense chapter. So we get we get Brian. We've got him. We he's arrived at the hotel. Um, now we got to check in on Miguel. And uh, what does he do? Well, he goes to a bar, and then he and Brian get a drink together, and then they plan on meeting uh, the next day with Jinx. And that's basically the entirety of their story. They make make pretend that they do not know each other in advance. There's also a bit where Miguel takes notice of a young, attractive woman. I guess she's not like especially young, but just an attractive woman sitting at a different table. Uh, makes eyes with her, and which um, we asked the bartender about her, and we get a name, which is that her name is Maria Teresa Gonzalez, which might not be her actual name, but no. that is the name that is uh, revealed by the bartender. Yeah, and then we leave Miguel and we travel. Um, uh, I guess a little bit away to back to Barcelona <laughs> <laughs> and back to Jinx, uh, who is still being tailed, uh, not by the um, faux ugly American, but rather by uh, the skinny man. Uh, and what happens with that, Hugh? Do you want to cue the listener in about what happens to old Jinx in this chapter? Uh, yeah, this gets a little bit. Uh, confusing. I don't think it's confusing. It just feels needlessly convoluted. But, yeah, I wasn't yeah. like I, was, I sort of zoned out a little bit. I was just kind of <laughs> skimming through it. Yeah. Um, he shakes the thin man who's following him in this particular section of town uh, populated by pimps and whores. <laughs> uh-huh. He says whores a lot in this book. <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, and then he eventually meets up with a contact at a bar. Mm. So he organizes uh, someone to transport the cargo that they're going to secure mm. somehow. As which part which of this mysterious plan, which we can intimate or infer rather that was uh, the suitcase with the bomb in it, because they talk about it being a suitcase or the dynamite rather. Yeah. And uh, he arranges with this uh, particular person named Barry to transport the cargo via boat mm. from point A to point B. 
that's all sorted. Yep. Then he meets another contact at a cafe, mm. also populated by whores. <laughs> yep. One of whom aggressively hits on him. They have a cryptic, gently meta conversation about narrative. Mm. The significance of which will become apparent at some point. They exchange money under the guise of talking about shorts, a short story or something. And yeah. basically it seems as though he's arranging for some other business to happen. We don't know quite what. We don't, we're not revealed. We're not revealed what it is as of yet. No. But I should, I should add, because he'll probably pop up later, that the person we meet is named Reese or something? Yes. His name is... I'm not sure what his first name was. Jimmy Reese. Jimmy Reese, yeah. So he has a cryptic conversation with Jimmy Reese. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah. And then uh, literally cuts off in the middle of conversation. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's, that's it. That wraps up that chapter. Join us next time for the next exciting installment of Odds On.